Welcome fellow pilots and other podcast listeners. I'm your host, Strategic Communications Chairman David Campbell. In this episode, we'll be talking about scope, otherwise known as job security. To do that, of course, we have your negotiating chairman, Chris Gruner. We brought in one of our subject matter experts, John Slaus. John, welcome. Thanks, David. John has been a number of things over the years in the Alaska MEC. He's been the MEC chairman. That was in uh, around 2000 to 2003 and was a negotiating committee chairman in 04 to 05. And not here with us, but another pilot who's helped out a lot in this committee is uh, Kyle Johnson. Currently, John is the chairman of the Scope and Alliance Committee. And so, John, before we go on and I introduce some of the other folks in the room today, some folks may not know what the Scope and Alliance Committee is. And so if you could give a little bit of background about when that started and what the role of that committee is. Sure, David. So the committee's been in place since the late 90s, in fact, when Alaska began code sharing and having relationships specifically with Northwest Airlines back then was one of our first partner airlines. And over the years, it has expanded. I've been in this position since the mid-2000s, focusing on our pilot relationships with all the different carriers that Alaska has agreements in place with. We have always looked over Section 1 of the contract and assisted the negotiating committee with ideas and concepts and support roles during the negotiating process. And then we also get together with our pilot groups from around the world the pilot representatives from our partner carriers that Alaska has relationships with. So the Alaska pilots are full members of the SkyTeam Pilots Association that dates back to our relationship with Delta Airlines as a company. Uh, we're also members of the One World Cockpit Crew Coalition, which is focused around our relationship with all of the One World carriers. Right now, I'm the chairman of the One World Cockpit Crew Coalition, also known as the OCCC. All right, thanks for that background. And so, you know, just like when you were, Chris, when we were negotiating scheduling, you bring in Scott Rubin as a scheduling expert and a subject matter expert. You've done the same thing here with scope and bring in the people who are focused on studying that both here and, and at other carriers. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. We've been working closely with uh, John Slaus and Kyle Johnson on the scope committee through each of these passes and uh, working each of them through them and making sure we're staying on track with how we're addressing each of these issues. Okay, and then we've got one more person in the room. He's been on one or two of our podcasts before, but I'll reintroduce him. Our Senior Labor Relations Council, Zach Hennigy. Zach, thank you again. Thank you. As part of the team, we've also, they're not here today, but the help of the Chief Negotiator, Bruce York, has been instrumental in negotiating this agreement, as well as our outside uh, scope council, Michael Winston. Right, yeah, good point. There's a, a big team involved in, in this entire negotiating process and, and in, in this section in particular is a perfect example of that. Okay, Chris, let me turn it over to you and please give us a, a bit of a 30,000 foot view of scope and how we've started this process. Going into these negotiations, it was abundantly clear from all of you that there was a high expectation that your job security would be protected moving forward. So we put a lot of emphasis on that in negotiations. And, you know, some of these things aren't always intuitive. So we worked really hard to make sure that we took that mandate from you and we translated into something effective. So if you saw the video that we put out or the bag tags going around, it kind of truncated the issues into three main areas. We looked to protect the current flying that we have, 
to provide opportunities for growth. And so that means to make sure that when the company grows, that they're growing opportunities for Alaska Airlines pilots. And then to prepare for the unexpected, to make sure that your jobs are protected when things happen that aren't ideal. So that was the framework that we used to work through this. And then uh, John will spend some time here uh, talking about the approach we took and how we worked to solve those issues in this contract. Yeah. And before we get into that, I'll I'll remind folks, if you haven't seen that short animated video, it's worth taking another look at. I think I will certainly, if you haven't seen it, please, please do so. It may help inform the rest of this episode. And again, it, it may be a good review. A link to that is in the show notes. And we also did a longer podcast episode that covered scope and you can listen to that too. That's also in the show notes, but if you want to look it up, it's podcast number 35 titled Scope, Protect, Provide, Prepare. So John, let's turn it over to you now. And if you have any general comments to, again, frame the work that you've been doing, helping out the committee. Sure. So leading up to negotiations, and this isn't just this time, it's been over the years, the scope committees had goals and objectives that are in line with what the pilot group has wanted. And in fact, trying to look beyond into the future, what else could be out there to protect job security. And I think that this round of negotiations, because of a willingness, a recent willingness from the company to actually engage with the pilot group, we've obtained those goals and objectives in in areas that are really important to the pilots now, but also looking to the future. And a couple of areas specifically, such as minimum crew complement and joint venture language. And we'll get into the details of those here in the podcast. Yeah, thanks. And it's worth mentioning, I think, because you've been around, as you said, 30 years and been sometimes doing trying to do these negotiations yourself and certainly being aware and it it's been a, an ongoing work and the company until recently hasn't been willing to even look at these things right well i think that's really important it's easy to say well let's go negotiate and let's get the language that we want but you have to have a willing partner on the other side of the table to understand the importance of that relationship and the provisions that we as pilots think are important to have And that's a competitive landscape, but it's also just a a general job protection provision that that exists everywhere. And I'm I'm really pleased with how this round of negotiations has ended. Yeah, and I want to emphasize, too, that a lot of that impetus for moving this stuff along came from all the work that you guys listening have done to get this across the line. I mean, the unity that we saw, the participation in all of these events, all of that made a huge difference in making sure that we had a willing partner to address these issues at the table. I think it's worth pointing out that, like John was saying, leading up to this round of negotiations, it's been difficult to secure the scope language that we wanted. But even during these negotiations, this was not a, uh, we just plopped down our proposal on the table and they accepted it. If you remember, there was a period of time when they very clearly said they weren't going to negotiate certain provisions of scope. And I think to Chris's point, it was because the people came out, they participated, they were engaged, they stayed educated, and, and that made all the difference. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, I, none of the things that have been achieved could have been achieved without the pilot group coming together as they did. So that's a big thank you to every, every pilot on this property. Well, let's talk about how do we protect pilot jobs at Alaska Airlines through what was written down in the current TA. Well, I think the first thing that jumps out to me is is what's known as the all-flying provision. Historically, we've had flying protected that's done by the Alaska Airlines pilots. Now we've added the important words of and for Alaska Airlines. 
and what that does is it brings our language in line with a basic job security provision that says the flying of Alaska Airlines is the flying of the Alaska Airlines pilots unless the pilots and the company agree to an exception to that rule. And so that is how we have based this contract language. It is around the fact that all flying is ours unless we carve out something that is, again, a standard industry practice in terms of how you address that for that particular carrier. And we've addressed how to do it for the pilots of Alaska working for Alaska Airlines. I think another way to think about the buy and for language, uh, picking up on what John just described, is it's a it is a general framework. This could have been done differently. Um, there are different ways to set up a Section One proposal and, and scope pr- provisions, but all the flying is done unless specifically excluded, and we've got those throughout the rest of Section One in ways that protect Alaska flying. So all flying is done by Alaska pilots unless, for instance. You know, it's small small jet flying, and uh, we have protections on that where the limitations around 76 seats and 86,000 pounds, and we'll get more into that. There are limitations on code share. We allow that, but it's it's done in a in a way that says if the company's going to grow, flying by Alaska pilots is going to grow. And we'll get into some of the other provisions, but that buy and for language is just a framework to, and you can read it easily as you go through the contract to see everything's done by Alaska pilots, unless, and then there are provisions that describe what those those other limitations are. Okay, well, let's get into the details of those things and starting with, I think, what's most familiar to people is the small aircraft provision. So the small aircraft provision is now codified at 76 seats and 86,000 pounds. That is the maximum limitation. Um, that is an industry standard capacity purchase agreement limitation. And that is done to protect anything above 76 seats will be flown by the pilots of Alaska Airlines. I mentioned the 86,000 pounds in there as well. That's another one of the limitations that goes along with it. We do have an exemption for 39 small aircraft, which may operate up to 89,000 pounds. However, they are also limited to 76 seats. This is another important gain in our section and brings our agreement in line with what is in place at other carriers that do this kind of flying. And that currently is American, Delta, and United. Yeah, so like you mentioned, John, we do have a carve out for 39 aircraft. And one of the things we set up front was that we were going to have a scope provision that is tailored to our company's business model. And that's the way other scope agreements have been negotiated as well. It might not be 89,000 pounds for a weight limit and other contracts, but they do have other elements that tailor to the way the company is running their operation. So this does provide a backstop, so they can't have more than that as they continue to grow. And I think another important aspect to the small jet restrictions is the ratio, because even though they have some that are larger, we have a specific ratio to our narrow body aircraft that makes sure that if the company grows the small jets, right? There has to be a proportional growth in the mainline aircraft and hence your job. So I don't know if you wanted to talk to that a little bit more, John. Sure. So the ratio we've established in this new language is that anything seating between 50 and 76 seats is limited to 43% of the mainline aircraft total. It's annualized. You look at our our fleet The company can operate 43% of our total number of aircraft in a capacity purchase agreement model with another carrier. 
And those two carriers, as we know right now, are Horizon and SkyWest. Yeah, and that, I think, compares favorably to the way other airlines restrict the number of small aircraft relative to their fleet. Is that right, John? It is. And it, it, as I mentioned, it's United, Delta, and American currently do this. They have different metrics at each carrier on how they do it. But I think the 43% of mainline is is a great number to have obtained at the negotiating table on a comparative basis to the industry. John, over the years in my career, I've seen occasions where one group is in a furlough situation and it may be the main lines furloughing, but the regionals that they're using aren't. And that puts that ratio a little out of whack. Does our TA address an issue like that? Yeah, it does, David. And and specifically that 43% is limited to where we are in terms of block hours as well and an annualized basis for our pilot group. So say we have a, a, a situation where Alaska determines a furlough is necessary and mainline pilots are furloughed. Looking back at the 12 months prior to that, the number of regional hours flown becomes restricted and comparative to what we do on the mainline side of things so that the company can't furlough mainline pilots and then grow the regional side of things beyond that block hour comparison over the last 12 months. And I think part of that, too, and it's probably a good time to point this out, there are certain sections of our contract or the scope that are subject to force majeure. And this is common. And, and Zach, maybe you can talk to that a little bit because this would be a potential exception here. Yeah, like you said, it's not atypical to have a, a provision that talks about circumstances outside of the company's control. These are you know, acts of nature, major events that no one predicts. Uh, they happen from time to time, and you see them throughout the industry and in scope provisions and throughout the contract. There would, so there there are exceptions to some of the the protections like furlough. Yeah, and I, I do think it's important to point out with those they are limited to a specific duration of the length of time in which that's in effect, and it's specifically related to things that impact our operations. So it isn't just wide open language. It's just, for example, during a COVID and that may or may not have been underneath this language, but say it was, then in that case, the company would be able to, like you saw as we went through that, still be able to run an operation and make money the best they could to try to keep the main line afloat still. And then it provides some flexibility for us in, in ways to make sure that the whole company stays together and then we're able to come out of it more successfully. But now out of the back end of this, that requirement kicks back in for the ratios to be intact. So as we framed this issue several months ago in Protect, Provide, Prepare, and as, as you mentioned in the top of the episode, Chris, let's talk about that second element of ensuring that we're provided opportunities for growth. Well, first and foremost, we've protected against an alter ego carrier, which is one of our stated goals. You might remember from the previous podcast and our scope education piece to ensure that the flying that does occur is done by us and the company is Alaska Airlines, nothing else. We have protections for co-share agreements, both for current partners and new partners. And there's metrics on how to calculate that and protect our flying, but also allow us to grow. The goal all along is not to, to restrict Alaska Airlines' business model, but to allow for us to grow with Alaska Airlines' business model. And our language for code-share agreements does exactly that. Yeah, it's important to point out that code-sharing in a lot of ways helps us grow. So it's something we wanted to be careful with. I mean, we're not making revenue off those code share flights, and a lot of times it feeds passengers into our network. But we just wanted to make sure in this agreement 
that if the company was going to enter into new co-chair agreements, that they were growing the main line before they did so to show that they were on a trajectory that continued along that path. Exactly. And, and that's just an important element of our ability to grow, right? We, we can't go everywhere with our current fleet. We need to have passengers fed into our network. And those passengers then add to our own revenue, our own growth, more routes, more segments, these sorts of things. So we need to think of it in the big picture of how this works with the business model that we currently have and how that grows in the future. And there's nothing to restrict the company from trying new opportunities or what have you. All of this works together. They can add new code share partners. When they're doing that, we're getting more block hours. We're growing our airline. We're growing our pilot group. Yeah. So talk a little bit of John about the cabotage and the fifth freedom flying and what that's about. I don't know if everybody's familiar with those terms. Sure. Well, cabotage is a foreign carrier flying a domestic route in another country. Currently, there's only uh, cabotage afforded cargo flying in the United States from the state of Alaska to the lower 48. But other than that, uh, a foreign carrier cannot carry domestic passengers between one domestic point in the U.S. to another domestic point. We wanted to make sure that we memorialize this. If the laws change, we wanted to restrict that kind of cooperation with Alaska Airlines to where if the law were to change, that we aren't then code sharing with that kind of flying when it's flying. In fact, we view we should be doing. On the same note, the companies agreed to partner with the association in fighting any changes to the cabotage rules of the United States. So that's an important element as well. You could see it as a threat to us by having foreign carriers doing domestic flying. I think Alaska Airlines sees it as a, th as a threat to the company as well. Fifth Freedom Flying is similar to that. It's a foreign carrier flying from the United States to another country. That is allowed in certain uh, situations, but we have protections as it relates to how that is done if it's new flying that doesn't exist today. John, let's talk about joint venture now and what the TA does for that. Sure. This is a new provision in our contract, an important provision, something that currently doesn't exist today. But again, looking to the future and how do we protect ourselves from potential threats. Joint ventures are a business relationship between two foreign carriers with antitrust immunity to share revenue over a market. It could be Alaska Airlines and WestJet across the Canadian border. It could be Alaska Airlines and I Icelandic Air. Current joint ventures are such where Air France, KLM, and Virgin Atlantic have a joint venture with Delta. All the revenue between North America and Europe is shared between those carriers. But what is not always outlined in those is how the flying is shared between the pilot groups. So what we've done is we have an agreement with the company that they will not enter into a joint venture absent an agreement with the pilots on how that's going to work, what it's going to look like, and who's going to do the flying. Yeah, so uh, John, I think that highlights an important point here is there's protections that are conferred in this section now that look forward to something that isn't an immediate concern of ours, but something that very well could be in the future. And JV, your joint venture is one of those things that uh, we're able to tighten up and get in front of. And it's something that Delta right now has been trying to unwind and take care of in their current 
uh, contract. So it helps us make sure that we're not in that same situation. There's also the crew complement issue, which I think is, is kind of a similar forward looking uh, concern. So if you wanted to highlight that and talk through that a little bit. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I think adding a new element uh, to our contract under crew complement, a minimum crew complement of having one captain and one first officer on the flight deck at all times is looking to the future and securing uh, what we believe is the best, safest, most secure way to operate a commercial aircraft, and that is two highly trained, qualified pilots on the flight deck at all times. We now have this new provision in our contract, and it's an important provision. We all can think about the different kinds of security threats, safety threats, and what have you, and getting this new provision allows us to be part of the solution to negotiate with the company should provisions change in the, in the future, should aircraft be certified for less than two pilots on the flight deck. We did agree to meet and confer with the company should any of our listed competitors begin to operate flights with less than two pilots. We have a seat at the table with the company to discuss if that will change our provision at Alaska Airlines and how that would occur. But a change to this provision would only occur through the collective bargaining process if the Alaska pilots agree to a change at all. Yeah, thanks, John, for highlighting that. Yeah, I do think that it's uh, nice to have, like you said, a seat at the table and to make sure that um, any change to the two-pilot system is done thoughtfully and carefully and uh, certainly not without uh, the input of the pilots as we move forward. So this is a definitely an important piece here of the scope provision that we've negotiated. Chris, let's talk about another big issue as it relates to scope and, and job security, which is on everyone's mind, I think, especially at this property, is mergers. I mean, we went through one not too long ago, and we want to make sure that if that happens in the future, you know, whether it's a merger or uh, fragmentation or anything like this, that, that we're protected. So how does this TA address those issues? Yeah, David. So the first thing I think to point out is that when there is a merger and the two parties are negotiating a, a joint collective bargaining agreement. There is no automatic push towards arbitration in the event the parties don't come to an agreement. So that's an important distinction because again, that's where we landed during the 2017 negotiations. And so it doesn't prevent arbitration from happening, but again, it's not an automatic requirement of the agreement. So I think the language we have now provides more of an impetus for the two parties to actually uh, negotiate carefully and thoughtfully through the issues that are there and come to a, uh, an agreement. So we couldn't be forced into an, another arbitration like we were last merger. That's correct. The other piece then when you're looking at mergers is that now the company is uh, required to either merge the carriers or to unload the pieces of the airline that they decide not to merge. So they can't, like John mentioned earlier, have an alter ego underneath the Alaska Air Group banner. So they do have two years to make the determination of whether or not they want to merge the carrier or what they want to do with it. But during that time, there are built-in labor protective provisions right now that uh, protect our jobs and make sure that we're not disadvantaged uh, relative to the other carrier with block hours or anything else. So it, it does help considerably to make sure that both our jobs are protected and that we have certainty that any acquisition that Alaska Air Group makes will result in growth and a better career path for our airline pilots. And 
Chris, if you don't mind, I'd like to reframe what we just talked about and in those negotiations that when a merger is announced, because what I think a lot of us are familiar with in the last merger was the TPA, the Transition and Process Agreement. That in and of itself took a long time and really delayed the process. It's one of the reasons in a way that we missed one of the negotiating cycles. And and so all of that language that you just talked about is sort of built into the cake of what a transition and process agreement would be in the future. Is that a, a fair way to, to frame that part of the section? At least the job protection provisions are. So that was something when we were merging previously where there's a lot of uncertainty as to how our jobs would be protected while they were merging, you know, us in Virgin America. So now that piece of the TPA is already taken care of within the current language. There's other elements we would still negotiate. So, and those are things we want to have open for negotiations. But um, yeah, the important things uh, that protect your jobs are baked in. Okay, thanks for that clarification. And so you've mentioned a number of things that protect our jobs and then provide opportunities that as the company's growing, the pilot group is also going to grow. And you touched on preparing for the unexpected. Is there anything else in the tentative agreement that addresses that unexpected and, and how do we are preparing for it? So we also have fragmentation language in there. So this is just kind of a worst case scenario. So TWA did something along these lines where they took a chunk of the airline as they were falling apart and sold it off. So for us, in the event that Alaska Airlines decides to unload 15% or more of their assets, uh, you know, holes, something along those lines, then they have to send pilots along with it. So at that point, they can't just sell the assets and then put all those pilots out on the street. The buyer has to agree to take the pilots along with the airframes. So again, hopefully we never get to that point. We never need it, but it is one of those things that's just nice to know that it's there in the event that we do go down that road. Yeah, it's preparing for the unexpected, just like we say. And, you know, Joe Youngerman puts this very well, I think, is that the time to buy fire insurance is not when your house is on fire. You, you, you need to prepare for these things in case they they come up. And, you know, hopefully you'll never need it. But when you do is not the time to be trying to negotiate it. All right. Well, I'd like to thank all of you for coming in and putting some more details onto this tentative agreement on, on the scope section. Before we close it out, Chris, would you just, again, recap what is in section one of this tentative agreement? The main items we talked about here were limits to seats and weights on small aircraft, uh, the buy and for provision, ratios for small aircraft, co-chair protections, JV protections, crew complement protections, making sure we have one captain, one first officer in the aircraft, preventing alter egos, merger protections, including block hour protections as we merge with another carrier, and protections in the event that the airline's fragmenting, making sure our jobs go along with those uh, airframes. Okay, Chris, thanks for that recap. And Thanks to you too, John and Zach. It's good to have you here. Scope is an important issue to all of us, and I'm glad we had a chance to talk about it. And to our listeners, we've tried to anticipate and answer questions. I'm sure you will have others. There are a lot of resources available to you. Anyone here on this particular episode is available for your phone call as well as your block rep. Please reach out to them. They're probably your most important primary contact. We also have a number of ways to get more information to you, starting with a completely revamped website 
which you can find at alaskapilots.org. On it, you'll have access to a quick guide of the executive summary, the executive summary, and full language of the tentative agreement. Also on that site is the schedule of roadshows. We'll be coming to every base, bringing with us members of the LEC from that particular base, the negotiating committee, members of the MEC officer corps, and SMEs that have been involved in helping craft this document. There'll also be directions on how to vote and when the vote will be open and closed. There's a bank of questions, frequently asked questions, along with a form to fill out if you have a further question. And of course, access to the other podcast episodes that are dedicated to the tentative agreement. Well, again, thank you for listening. This has been another episode of the Alaska Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Strategic Communications Chairman, David Campbell.